Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. We still don't get paid what I believe we're worth. I had secretly been wanting to try health coaching. Women have been dropping out. Your body is the next frontier of liberation. You have to monetize. We buy into this idea that anyone can do this. Your body becomes proof. Whether or not we're trying to sell a service or a product, all women are brands. Now I'm a health coach. My name is Kyla Tova, and this is Your Body, Your Brand. Episode 6, A Cage with the Bars Labeled Freedom. I have always struggled with finding my own purpose in life. I started out by kind of following the script, the American script of like, get a good job and gain the prestige of your peers and to make lots of money. And I felt empty and I'm like, what? What? You know, like, I'm, this is supposed to be winning. Why doesn't it feel like winning? And then I quit my job and sold 95% of my stuff and moved into an RV. And I was like, damn the man, I'm, you know, I'm going to follow my own heart. Uh, and I thought that I was free, but really I had created a new cage up for myself and labeled the bars freedom. Um, and I was, I wasn't just like an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur, comma, damn it. Uh, <laughs> and I had just created a new identity for myself that I had to fall into. last episode, we talked about how people with eating disorders are often drawn to coaching and how coaching often teaches people without eating disorders how to distrust their own bodies. Well, in the next two episodes, we're going to talk about how that disordered mindset around our bodies often translates into a disordered mindset around our brands. You see, the thing is, when we start thinking in black and white about health and about wealth, it often changes the way that we interact with the world and with ourselves. Now, at the beginning of the episode, we heard from Pace Smith, a pathfinding coach for spiritual nonconformists and co-host of the Dervish and the Mermaid podcast. She touches on that black and white problem with the concept of coaching. The language around online marketing sets up this duality in which there are people who toil at somebody else's passion and work for the man, and then there are people who throw caution to the wind and follow their hearts, jumping headfirst into entrepreneurship. We idolize entrepreneurs just the same way we idolize healthy people, at least here in America, imbuing them with almost mythical qualities. That is, the entrepreneurs who make it big. And health coaching at least appears to allow individual women the opportunity to become big in their niche, even as they're becoming or staying small. But what happens when you're lured into becoming a health entrepreneur, comma, damn it, and then things don't work out the way your business coach promised? You know, I had been sort of pushed or guided or however you want to describe it towards health coaching as a wedding planner for, you know, a variety of reasons. And, um, I really had, um, I, at the time I felt like I had a voice in my local community as a wedding planner. So whenever I would speak out about other things, health and, you know, nutrition and CrossFit and running and, you know, depending on what I was into that week, um, I had a little bit of an audience listening to that, which again, exposed me to meeting other individuals who were like me. 
That's Brenda Swan, who describes herself as an advocate of merriment. She and I met while attending the Institute for Integrative Nutrition online in 2013. Despite the fact that she was already an entrepreneur in her own right as a wedding planner, she felt like she needed to prove herself as a health coach in order to be taken seriously. I mean, everyone took me seriously and, you know, thought that I knew what I was talking about as a wedding planner, which is really funny because being a wedding planner is completely unregulated, 110% unregulated. And I literally started this job by just doing things for other people in my quote unquote day job, my traditional job. You know, I put parties together for a Fortune 500 company because I was like, you know, the receptionist that had nothing else to do originally, Um, you know. Um, So I started doing these events and I started figuring out how to make money off of it and how to build a business. And I built that business. So, again, legitimately had no background, no experience, didn't even have a boyfriend. So but somehow I became like an expert over the years. And and I say somehow not to discredit everything I learned and taught myself, taught myself but it felt like it was so much easier than with, you know, health coaching when you and I met. And I thought to myself, I'm going to go into this program and that program, and I'm really going to get, I'm going to get my certificate here and my certificate there. And I'm going to do everything that I can while still running a business, still having a family. And, and, you know, how do I make myself legit, a legitimate voice in the health spectrum? Literally the way that I came into this world was because I was trying, I don't know, I think I was just trying to to say that I was an expert at something, you know, and and nobody was really listening to me. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go earn it. What was it that Brenda was trying to earn? She was already an expert and well compensated for it. What was it about health that was so alluring that it felt more important than any other job that she could have? I talked to Natalie Carey, whose brand name is Barbell Blondie, about why she went into fitness as a career. And I think her answer helps put things into perspective. I grew up as a ballerina and about around junior high, my ballet director started having conferences with my mom and they started telling her, you know, she needs to lose weight if she wants the better roles. Um, She's a really great dancer, but we can't cast her in the roles unless she loses weight. And so um, with that and just being an awkward teenager, um, as we all are, um, and being totally uncomfortable with like the changes that my body was going through and not really knowing who I was, um, I just started really questioning my looks and my body and what was wrong with me as compared to other people and learning that my value was only only worth something in comparison with what other people were valued as and what their looks were valued for. And I think we all know at this point, it's not just ballerinas who are exposed to this kind of messaging. Women and girls are taught from an early age that their body is a locus of value, and it only matters in comparison with other people's bodies. The constant comparing begins to feel like a vocation. And so, for many women, it's a logical leap for it to become one. I actually started picking up running when I was in college, and I got into weightlifting during a very random year and a half of my life when I lived in Japan, and that led me towards being a personal trainer in San Francisco, which is where I'm at today. But the entire journey um, has just been has just been filled with a lot of a lot of instances where people kept informing me that I had to look a certain way in order to be even considered by them as somebody who is worth being a friend or worth having a relationship with or worth hiring. Um, And that message was reinforced in me since the time I was a teenager up until 
I mean, it's enforced constantly even today, but I'm just more ready to stand up and speak up uh, up against it. So I got into personal training originally because I loved waking up in the morning and working out and helping other people to work out. Like my, my family and my friends were coming to me, asking me for help on their workouts and their nutrition. And so that's how I got started in personal training is because I, I loved doing it. I loved helping other people on this fitness journey. Um, and when I started, it was definitely under the impression that I had to look a specific way in order to be a trainer. I even remember having this conversation with some random dude in the gym when I was working on my certification um, and I was working out really hard and he came up to me and he was like, oh man, you're making everybody else in here look bad. And I said, well, I'm, I'm studying to be a personal trainer and you know, I need to look a certain way to impress my clients. And I remember this conversation because I was so obsessed with having to look a specific way as a personal trainer. Um, and over, over the last few years, there, it's not just me. It's a lot of other female personal trainers. And I'm sure male personal trainers get this as well is sometimes you meet people, whether it's inside or outside the gym and you say, I'm a personal trainer. And they kind of give you like a once over to sort of evaluate you physically to decide whether or not you're good at your job. Natalie brings up a couple of interesting points. She mentions that the reason she went into personal training was to help other people feel good in their bodies. And I would argue, and will argue in a later episode, that helping other people is a big driving force behind why so many of us become health entrepreneurs, especially given the culture-wide rhetoric and scaremongering around fatness and ill health. By becoming health entrepreneurs, we feel as if we're part of this larger mission to save the world. But there are ramifications to doing that work, and those ramifications are almost always related to our looks, which is why I think the concept of branding on social media feels almost inevitable to those of us who find health coaching, personal training, and other looks and health-based professions. Here's Brenda again. Oh my God, it was such a weird time, but I'm not going to lie to you. I thought I was going to save the world from bad health. I really, I really did. I truthfully, honest to goodness thought that I was going to have like a patient that, you know, um, like, or not a, I shouldn't say a patient because I don't think I'm allowed to say that since we're not actual doctors, <laughs> although they make us feel like we are. Um, I, I really thought I was going to help someone like, you know, stop their infertility problems or something to that effect with my potions of essential oils and, and knowledge of being authentic to themselves and meditating 10 minutes a day or something like that. <laughs> right. And I, I really think, did. and I think, you know, a lot of us do feel like, you know, oh, health uh, or a focus on health is the way to change the world and save the world. And when we take that in as our identity, you know, it's like, I have this knowledge, I've been doing it, it's working for me, it must work for everybody. And now I want to, it's just like, it's like the natural extension of like, if you have the answer, why wouldn't you want to give it to everybody? Right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's and, where it gets dangerous. The, exactly. You know where else it gets dangerous? Where you start getting the social media attention. Mm -hmm. Because I had a, as I mentioned, you know, with the, my business, I had a, a social media following that, you know, to someone who's insignificant and doesn't know any difference. I'm like, Oh, I have a thousand followers, you know, for my wedding planning business. And I talk to these people all the time. And that's where they find me. And they love how active I am. And I talk to these brides and grooms, but they were always 
these couples were always, you know, they come and they go because they get married and then, you know, you don't talk about them anymore when they, they think they want to be friends with you afterwards, but it's not about them. So they're like, oh, we don't actually have anything in common. So never mind. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden you start getting this, this attention and, and fo- follow Fridays and, and likes and, you know, whatever from other people that are, you know, searching the little taglines, the fit fam and the fam bam and the, mm-hmm. you know, all the, all those things. So I think that kind of contributes to like, Hey, Hey, I'm doing, I'm really doing something. Yeah. I'm, I'm awesome. Oh, completely. And you know, it, that's, I mean, it's a problem. <laughs> that It's such a problem. It's such a, such problem. a problem. And it, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely self-reinforcing and then it's reinforced on the other end from other people. And you're just like, well, I'm in this now. So this yeah. is who I am. This is what I have to do. I've been called to do this. I have the credentials to do this now. Yes. And then what, what happens? <laughs> then what? Okay, I'll tell you what happens. Then you're too afraid to go out to freaking dinner with your husband to like Arby's because you're just craving a damn roast beef sandwich that's salty and just normal for $5 because you're afraid that you're going to see one of these people or someone's going to see you eating this sandwich at Arby's or wherever the hell you go or or a tub of Froyo because that was the other place I loved going to. Well, there was this as a wedding planner, I was selling an, an image, you know, I'm selling an image, I'm selling an event, I'm selling this magical dreams do come true every day just for you, nobody else, just for you. So I sell this this image, right? And I was at the grocery store one day, maybe 11 o'clock in the morning, like after a spin class or something, I looked wreck, you know, it was a wreck from the spin class. And I'm just, you know, but like my normal self, like literally what I look like this second. Um, and I'm, I'm at the grocery store, like going down the freezer aisle because I was hot and I just was trying to cool off. And I saw one of my mothers of the bride and she had this disgusting look on her face because she had never seen me outside, you know, the pretty dresses and the heels, full, full face of makeup, like shopping for wedding stuff, you know, doing wedding things. She had never seen me outside of that. She never seen me as a human being. So this this was a like an ultra embarrassing moment and it was awful. And then I told myself I will never go anywhere ever again where I can be recognized, you know, and not looking 110% my brand. <laughs> um, so then when that carried over to this fitness thing I was trying to do or this health coaching thing and, and like this Arby's, I think actually was a Chipotle because, you know, Chipotle is okay for us to eat as health coaches. Uh, and I saw one of my friends from my CrossFit gym. Cause I was also obsessed with CrossFit. Cause you know, that's the best and only sport ever. Um, or at least it was at the time. And he saw me in there and he, you know, he, he and he like just looked at me with my husband, you, you eat this stuff. And I was no, I'm just here for, I'm just here for Dayton. Dayton's hungry. And you know, I've been busy and I have a business to run and I'm trying to launch this other business. And like, no, I'm just here for Dayton. And it swore to God, I was never, ever going to be caught dead ever eating outside of my home. And uh, like, how healthy is that? Exactly. While Brenda's story might sound like an extreme case, it's actually not isolated. Women are dropping out of the workforce to become coaches, and they are being taught that branding is extremely important to becoming successful. They're being taught to retreat into the images that they've cultivated for themselves, to put the image of the self they hope to be on a pedestal, and to let their actual lives fade into the background. 
When I spoke with Sarah Benet Weiser, the feminist London School of Economics communications professor whom we met in episode three, she explained how the branding of the body is perpetuating itself and convincing women like Brenda that she, too, needed to become the image of her brand in order to be successful. Women drop out of the workforce. Right. For a number of reasons, you know, it could be children, it could be lack of opportunity, it could be there's an I mean, sexual harassment. Right. There's a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. But a lot of women are turning to the Internet as their way to make or supplement an income. They're becoming Beachbody coaches. They're, you know, they're they're taking uh, classes through B-School, which is the Marie Forleo, how to like be a perfectly branded online presence Mm -hmm. class that costs a shit ton of money and Mm -hmm. Marie Forleo has been on Oprah and it's because she's made a lot of money doing this you know Uh Um, but it's it's this sense that like the only way that we can really control our lives is to begin performing our lives for other people Um, well and performing particular kinds of lives for other people so I mean I think that that's really true and that has to do with in part you know like you said all of the varied reasons why women um, leave a traditional workforce, be it sexual harassment or or uh, lack of opportunity or lack of equal pay um, mm-hmm. or, you know, um, you know, all the different reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. That that um, um, it is true that when you have when you leave the, the traditional workforce and you have constantly around you messages and ideologies about being your own entrepreneur, the entrepreneur of the self, you, you know, your self brand, you can do this. And then you have, you know, uh, a lot of visibility on those few people, um, who actually get, um, make a lot of money being a beauty blogger or, or the woman, you know, on, on Oprah, you know, building a self brand. So those exceptional cases, end up, you know, kind of circulating so visibly that we, you know, that we buy into this idea that anyone can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyone can be um, a success on YouTube. Um, And and that that in turn spurns Mm -hmm. all sorts of new industries. So there's agents now for YouTube stars. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it's usually those kinds of industries that have been historically feminized and devalued. Right. right. So like, you know, and, and also seen as not real work, like like, you know, here's how you create the best beach body or mm-hmm. here's how you put on makeup. So not real work, but also essential for the workforce. Right. So right. Um, that's also part of that industry. Yeah. Which, you know, it's it's. And it's just, yeah, it is troubling because, you know, how do you have this conversation when, you know, women you know, so if I were to go to somebody and I have had friends who have tried to convince me that the best way to make money is to sell a multi-level marketing product or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I've had conversations, uh, frank conversations where I've I've listened, you know, and what I've heard is, well, sure, I, I'd love to not be able to sell this, but what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's not uh, a question of, well, do you go back and get a STEM education or get your MBA? For a lot of women, there's not that kind of access or the interest, to be honest. Um, and, and and people still don't hire them anyway. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's. I mean, everyone's like, oh, there's a pipeline problem. There really isn't a no. pipeline problem. There's a hiring problem. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but yeah, that, I mean, it is it, that that's why I, I that's why I think that it's really important for us to approach this with a nuanced perspective that, you know, that there are that there are, you know, um, ways that 
um, there are only so many avenues, especially for women um, and and for you know uh, people of color, that there are only so many avenues um, and where where we are seen as being sort of authentically creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so what happens is then you you had develop an industry about again about a curation of the authentic self online that isn't authentic in the sense that it isn't necessarily. Um, a reflection of that person, but it is a performance of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, and I know there really aren't any answers necessarily about how we fix this. But I mean, I think a, a good part of it starts with the question of, OK, so what is this performance really doing? Um, and, you know, for I guess for a lot of women, you know, the individuality question comes in is what well, it's what it's doing right now is helping me sustain my family or create a career or feel like I have hope or whatever it is that the performance is doing on an individual basis and not necessarily looking at the long term and the community impact. When we begin to perform our identities for money, it changes our relationship with ourselves and with the world. It changes how we interact with information. It changes the way we value both ourselves and others. As we talked about in Episode 4, when you invest in your identity, it fundamentally impacts the way you move about the world, and that in itself can be dangerous. In our conversation about branding, feminist marketing coach Kelly Deals touched on the problem of identifying too closely with your brand. Well, when we make something our identity... Mm -hmm. Threats to our identity become something we have to aggressively reject and defend against. Mm -hmm. And so when we we see that in even the political realm, when we make a party our identity, any threat to the party Mm -hmm. has to be vanquished. So what that does is that forecloses new thought and new influences. You can't be influenced by anyone or anything that might actually threaten Mm -hmm. your identity. Well, that closes us off and makes us smaller. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens in, you know, the brand and online world too, is we make a character, mm-hmm. our identity. And so then we're not open to any outside perspectives or influences or sort of new thoughts. Yeah. And so we become very, very static. We become echo chambers. We yeah. become, you know, like recycled wisdom. And I, I just think that if we didn't focus so hard on merging our identities with our brands, we'd actually have a lot more flexibility. And that would be personally enriching because we'd be, you know, constant growing influx people, mm-hmm. which is like a really satisfying and yet challenging place to be. But it would actually help our culture too, because we'd be like, there'd be more cultural transmission of good ideas. There'd be more cross-pollinization, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of the place that I want us to, to lead us to, which is, you know, we, we can be flexible, we can be growing, we can be evolving and constantly shifting. And, you know, if you look back at yourself over the last year or two and you think, wow, I haven't changed a bit, mm-hmm. my message hasn't changed a bit, you know, I'd be concerned. The problem with creating an online health brand is that while it does allow for the cultural transmission of ideas, as we explored in episode one, those ideas sometimes get stuck in a loop. Our cultural obsessions with both diet culture and making money are top of mind all the time now that we can model both on social media. 
And what people don't see is the truthful behind-the-scenes look at what it actually means to be the person behind the brand. We get so caught up in following coaches and listening to their podcasts and reading their blogs that we forget that they may not be the people they appear to be on the Internet. Or, as in Brenda's case, they may be changing everything about themselves offline in order to better match the online version they've designed for themselves. In our last episode, we met Katie Delbout, author of Let It Out and a wellness influencer and podcaster. She and I discussed what happens when the cultural transmission of ideas gets stuck in a loop and how it changes the way we value ourselves. And, you know, that's the funny thing is that those of us who are like searching for health coaches and stuff like that, we're the ones who least need advice because we do spend. uh, I mean, when I was going through something very similar, I lived on healthy living blogs like I just I read them all day long. I I knew every recipe. I knew every piece of nutrition advice that was real or not. Um, You know, I read all the the press releases that came out from every single study. I could tell you how many calories were in the avocado. You know, like I was like I was the person who least needed a coach, but I was the most interested in it, you know. And I think, you know, the important thing, too, is saying, okay. You know, so and I know this applies to me and it sounds like it uh, kind of applied to you as well is like I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I did. I knew what I was good at and I was good at my body. I was good at my body, even if I had been a little too good with the eating disorder, (laughs) if you will. Right. Um, But I knew that now that I'm, you know, recovering, I can help other people and I can make money doing this because I see other people doing it. You know, and it became like. I mean, to this day, like I struggle to be in corporate America because I'm like, I could be doing so many other things right now. Why should I be here when I see people making money on the Internet? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's it's definitely true outside of the wellness and fitness and, and health coaching and industry that there are more people wanting to be freelancers and work for themselves. It's It's very alluring probably more so than ever because of the internet and because of the ease and because of all of these, you know, benefits of being able to be location independent and in control of your own schedule, you know, like entrepreneurship has always been alluring, I'm sure, but it's even easier now with the internet more than ever. And I was just talking to someone this morning who is a wellness influencer and and she was saying, you know, that most of the people that she knows who aren't, who do work for someone else really want to not be and are trying to figure out a way not to be. Mm-hmm. And I, and I get it. I agree. And I've, I'm, I'm kind of in that boat myself, you know, like I, I've worked a full-time job throughout everything I've created on the internet, which I don't talk about a ton. And people are usually pretty surprised when, Actually, I don't think I've like ever really talked about it. People are usually pretty surprised when when they find out. Mm-hmm. But it's been great to not have to have to put the pressure on my full time uh, on my creative work, which for me is the podcast or, or my book mm-hmm. or anything I do on the internet. It's been great to not have to put the pressure on that to make me money and to just be like, this is what I'm going to put out, and I I'm taking care of my rent is going to be paid by this other thing. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, there are days when, like, the other thing really isn't great. And I wish I was doing my thing full time. And and there are other days where it's, you know, it's pretty chill. I even enjoy it. And it's it's not bad. And I'm really grateful for it. You know, it, it ebbs and flows. And I think that reality is that 
it would ebb and flow if I did just do my thing full time. I would have days that were really, really great, and I would have have other days that were terribly awful. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality of having a job. You know, I remember like I had a mentor who I admired and I really, really wanted to to have her business model and and you know be just like her for a really long time. And somebody told me who worked for her on her team was like she has days where it's like Excel and budgets and like things that she doesn't want to do too, but you don't see that on Instagram. Like you see the very alluring things, you know, the times where it's the, not the, maybe the everyday things. And it's just like anything else with social media and you're seeing the highlight reel of someone's life. You're seeing the highlight reel of someone's career. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very, very, alluring like and this is why this is such an interesting topic and an interesting conversation of you know after college for me I I did want to be a blogger or a speaker or a you know self-help book author or a coach of some sort like I, I wanted to do all of those things I just couldn't figure out how to do that exclusively and I'm glad I didn't I'm glad I I I had the push from my fa- I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. I did. My <laughs> mom still is like, what the blog? What the podcast? Like, uh, get a 401k, you know, get a yeah. benefits, you know? Yeah. So I was really, really, really pushed in that direction of like, you either like get a full-time job or you live at home. Like, what are you doing? You know? So I, but- I had to do that. And I, I've supported myself since the day I graduated from college. And and that's been a, a gift, I guess. I would never have said it then. I sure. wanted to like be entitled, but now it, it really is. And and I've been able to support myself and learn and, and grow as a as a person and learn from that experience and mm-hmm. and take that, you know, to, to whatever I do next. However, I think it is really challenging to and this is something that I'm really happy I'm I'm talking about and that you're giving me the platform to share about. <laughs> Which is me saying that I have a full-time job and I do all of this stuff on the side. Because every time I say that to people, I'm met with, oh my god, how do you do it? Wow. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I'll say, and I and then two things. The, the first thing is, I don't know if I recommend doing both things. Like, I took, like I said, when I was living in that apartment by myself, I applied... I'd gone through a breakup and then I applied my control and my neurosis that I had been applying to food and my body to work because I was in this job that, you know, I liked, but wasn't again, the, my dream job that I thought I wanted. And I spent all of my free time, not making friends, not going out with friends because I was still pretty controlling with food. And so I put it all to work, you know, and I, in that time, in that, you know, maybe two year period, I was working all the time. I was working my day job from 9 to 6, Monday through Friday, sometimes on the weekends when I needed to. And also in the evenings and in the early, early mornings, I started a podcast that Mm -hmm. now has over 200 episodes. I, you know, wrote a book with a publisher. I was still blogging. Like, I was doing all of these other things on the side And something has to go when you have a life and a career and and two jobs, you know? And so for me, I replaced my life with my other career. Mm -hmm. And, And then, you know, after the book came out, I was just kind of like, 
okay, I, I owe this project that I made a year ago because the publishing process takes so long. I owe it to this project to do my best for putting it out into the world and mm-hmm. go on people's podcasts and go on the local news and, and do book signings. And, and I did that and it was fun. And then I was like, okay, I need to focus on my life. Like, this is not cool. And so I did that. I, I, I put, you know, I kind of put that on, on the back burner and I started dating and I made friends and I hosted parties and I got into more things and I just became a more well-rounded human being. But the reality is that a lot of the groundwork for my podcast and my book being out in the world happened while having a full-time job because I didn't have a life for a while. And I don't recommend that. Like I don't, I don't want anyone to, to do that. I mean, it's, it's what happened for me. It's okay. It's whatever. I don't regret it. But I think what's interesting, and I had this conversation with a friend when I, soon after I moved to New York Mm -hmm. and she also has a a blog and an Instagram and a podcast and all those things. <laughs> the whole thing, and, yeah. And the whole thing. And, and we were having this conversation about how how we both make it work, like how, how we both make money. And, you know, her answer was that, you know, her parents help her out and her boyfriend helps her out with money. And, you know, she makes money every once in a while, but sometimes she doesn't and that's okay because she has help. And I talked to somebody else and, you know, their, their husband supports them. And I talked to somebody else and... Uh, they got money another way. You know what I mean? It's just like, we don't see that on the internet. Like there should, I wish, I don't wish this, but like, I, I kind of wish there was a disclaimer of like, yeah, how you really how make fund money. this lifestyle. You yeah. Know? It's easy to think like, oh, she's just, she's just a blogger. She, I know she doesn't have a full-time job, so she must be able to support herself living in New York city on whatever this is. And, and for me, it's like my podcast has sponsors mm-hmm. and I, you know, do some affiliate stuff. I have this book, but I've never had, I've never paid myself through that, you know? And I think it's really important to share that because it's so easy to, for people to look at what I do and be like, well, you know, I just saw, she must've bought that dinner. She just posted about, and I know she lives in New York and I, how does she do it? You know? And, and, or, or she has family money or, you know, someone else is supporting her. And I think, it's just important that you're giving a platform to this of like, it's just a big, big highlighted sticker going on everyone being like, you don't know the full story of yeah. how someone makes it work. Exactly. And, you know, it's so interesting. Um, it blew my mind there. Uh, so I guess right around when I was getting ready to quit my podcast, right, I I was tired. I was doing the exact same thing you were doing. I was getting up at 5 a.m. to record 7 a.m. podcasts with people in, you know, the U.K. or whatever, you know, on the East Coast just so that I could get do that before work. Then I'd do my work yeah. all day. I'd have to deal with, like, you know the institutionalized patriarchy that was my job. And then I'd have to come home and write a blog post and spend my weekends instead of like going to the dog park or whatever, you know, sitting in a Starbucks working on social media posts. And it was, I mean that I had this realization. I, I was talking to a whole bunch of coaches for the podcast and then off the record, they'd be like, oh, no, I don't make any money with this. Like I make a couple thousand a year, but my husband is helping. Or if I didn't have a partner, I wouldn't be able to do this. And, you know, it's really interesting that this is such a feminist issue that I don't think anybody is disgusting. It's like, okay, 
So there's a bunch of women who are like seeing other women model making money on the internet. Now, the thing yeah. is, a lot of women are then quitting their jobs because they don't see any like male, they don't, they, they don't have any like female support or female role models, or they don't, you know, they didn't receive the kind of education that would allow them to make the kind of money they want to make. So they're like, no, all right, I'm not going to sit and be a copywriter for the rest of my life or, you know, an admin or whatever. I'm going to make my money on the internet and I'm going to be financially independent. Right. Or there's women who are like, no, I'm going to, I, I want to have babies and I want to be home with them. Right. Or there's women who are just like, I don't ever want to have to be financially dependent on a man because if something goes wrong and things go wrong, right, then you're screwed. Right. You need you need to be able to support yourself so you can get out in a bad situation. So, yeah, we're modeling this for each other without any disclaimers. Like I'm a coach and you have to put out that you're fit. You know, I'm famous. I'm supported. I'm people love me because from a social proof perspective, nobody wants to work with a quote unquote loser, right? Exactly. Nobody wants to work with somebody who's not successful. So I never yeah. put it out that I like only had four or five clients, right? Because I didn't want people to know right. that people didn't want to give me money. I wanted them to know that I had clients so that they'd want to be my client too. Exactly. But it's a feminist issue because there's other women who are looking at us being you know, quote unquote successful and going, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to stop working towards being the CEO or getting to that management title or, you know, figure out how to get this guy who's been horrible to me, you know, expose this or whatever, because, you know, I can just drop out and become a coach. Yeah. I, I can use the asset that I already know I have, which is my body, right? I can build my brand. I can be famous on the internet and I can do this. But then when I talk to coaches, they're, they all say, oh, no, no, honey, unless you're like Kim Kardashian, you can't do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's scary. Yeah. So that's this is so fascinating. Kyle. Like, I'm so happy we're talking about this. And I would just want to highlight something you said of the piece about, yeah, we're sharing like the client letter and the email that our lovely, you know, one mm -hmm. client out of the four that we have sent us and mm -hmm. we're, we're doing that. Like, I totally get that. And I totally see people doing that. And, and at the same time, I know for me, because I, I'm not a coach and that's never really been, been something that I do. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I would do Mm -hmm. is I felt like, and this is, I, there was a lot of shame for me around, to, I would have never had this conversation I'm having with you right now yeah. two, three years ago. Because I had a lot of shame around the fact of, I don't want people to know I have a full-time job mm -hmm. because then they'll think that I'm not a real podcaster. I'm not a real author. I'm not a right. real blogger. I'm doing quotes because <laughs> I'm not making my money that way. Yeah. So that for that means, therefore, I am, you know, this is just a hobby. Mm -hmm. And what's wrong with these things just being a hobby? You know, I think monetizing everything or like, I, I don't think that everything needs to be monetized. I think we would be a better society if we yeah. just enjoyed hobbies without trying to monetize everything and and I'm I'm guilty of that you know like I said entrepreneurship is very alluring and I think like you said two things not being afraid to share you know I mean but it's hard like I get what you're saying like mm -hmm. I don't want brands to not want to sponsor the podcast yeah I'm just like 
I don't, I have a full-time job too. You know, like I don't, I don't really want to lead with that mm-hmm. when I'm talking to a brand. Like I want them to think that I'm a boss and that I have a real podcast with real listeners, which I do. Like I've been doing this for almost five years. I have a really mm-hmm. dedicated audience and I am a good candidate for their brand. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, feel free. I mean, yeah. the point is like, but if I lead with, yeah, I do this on the side. It's a hobby. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a full-time job. It's fine. They're going to be like, okay, you know? Like, exactly. So it's just, it's, yeah, it's it's not talked about. And it's, I don't really know the answer of, of how to change that or how to make people comfortable with it. What do you think? Honestly, what I think is that this is a complicated issue and it's not one that's going to get resolved anytime soon. I mean, it definitely won't get resolved until we start acknowledging that our online brands are both consciously and unconsciously manipulative and that they're teaching us that it's important to separate ourselves from the truth of who we actually are. But I also think that media literacy alone will not save us. Here's Sarah Benet Weiser again. I was talking to my son and his girlfriend yesterday about um, Facetune. Oh. And and the different ways in which you know you, scu- you all the different beauty apps and mm-hmm. you know body apps um, where you sculpt your body um, in different ways. Um, um, and what was interesting to me about this was that they showed me a picture of someone that they knew who had clearly like made her waist like four inches um, thin, you know, cinched in four inches. And the and the way that they showed me was that. The, the 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 windowsill behind her was like sort of morphed or something. Right. And they're like, this is how you can identify people who have used these sort of apps. But mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter if we know we can identify them. Right. Right. Those are the images that continue to circulate, the, you know, um, and those are the images that continue to, you know, to to kind of enforce an idea of like idealized bodies, idealized femininity. So that's why it's complicated. Mm-hmm. It's not that we don't know that these are produced. Right. Right. We know this. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you know, and I, and I, you know, as someone who is a feminist media scholar and has looked at tons and tons of advertisements, like I've said to you, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look at all of these ads and, you know, and now online, but also, you know, for years in magazines and everything else. And like, look at that airbrushing. Oh my God. And still (laughs) am affected by, you know, still want to buy that because I'm like, maybe, maybe I can look like that. So that's the thing is that I don't think that we're being duped or manipulated. I think that we're part of this and, and we sort of, um, we participate in it, um, in a way that is sort of deliberately not self-reflexive in part because it's just so much, there's so much here in this, in this kind of economy of visibility that mm-hmm. we, we don't even have the time to contemplate this or to be self-reflexive. We just move on to the next. Exactly. And, you know, that's kind of the thing is, I, you know, I, I think media literacy is, is something of a, a misnomer, you know, we, or at least in terms of like what we need to be doing as a culture. Um, you know, I think, People get it. We've seen the Dove ad, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we we know it's bad. But what we really need is marketing literacy in terms of do I buy the thing that is being sold to me? Not do I believe it, but do I buy it? Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's a really good point. And I think that that is also part of that marketing, what you're calling the marketing literacy is also part of, you know, uh, what what we need to be teaching our students and our, and, and, you know, in, 
and each and ourselves about like identifying, you know, um, uh, fake news or misinformation or disinformation, right? right. That we, you know, it, it's, it's people, since I'm a media studies professor, people ask me a lot, are you, you know, do you, how do you teach students to discern what is fake and what is real news? I can't discern it. Right. You know, so, I mean, I, 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 I know that I am supposed to have a certain kind of expertise in this area. And in some ways I do, but, mm-hmm. but I can't even discern it. So it's like, it, it's a different sort. You're exactly right. I, I think we need a different sort of, I don't even know if I would say liter- literacy because that's so overused, you know, <laughs> right. But a different sort of of um, processes of interpretation, um, and that will allow us to kind of navigate this super messy, super complicated, and like relentless field. For Brenda, once she had committed to her health coaching aspirations, she moved forward with abandon. It was easy for her to build a coaching practice into her existing wedding offering. And as we'll learn from her story, it offered her the promise of recurring income in a way that weddings never could. So every month, so in my wedding planning thing, I had this thing called the bridal nosh. And originally we used to get together to nosh on wine and cheat fancy cheese and crackers and talk about, you know, baby blue over turquoise blue over powder blue. Because, you know, it's very important to decipher between all the blues once we're trying to put your palette together for your colors of your wedding. So I had actually turned these these bridal noshes into just, you know, nosh with Brenda, swan nosh, whatever. I don't even remember giving it quite the name, but I remember taking the word bridal off of it. And I just say, hey, come nosh with us. Um, and I, they literally turned into how do I teach you healthy habits? Because now I'm doing all these things and I'm becoming a health coach and I'm amazing. Um, and then, you know, I was bringing in my, instead of bringing in the the coaches or the personal trainers that were coming to, 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 you know, kind of romance my couples, I was bringing in my CrossFit coaches. Here's what you need to do. So I thought in that I could help my couples. And what I wanted to do was to help my couples become holistically healthy. So it was instead of a picture perfect wedding, it was like, what do you, you know, picture perfect, everything you're going to do after the wedding. And then it would keep me employed. Right. You know, it would keep me employed. I would have to still be in their lives. And the clients, of course, they didn't want it and didn't come to the, because the nosh was already included in what they paid me anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was no big deal. And the ones that didn't come, that's fine because you're still paying me. And the ones that didn't, or the ones that did, you know, I got to work with them more and then continue to work with them with, um, you know, infertility and whatever else. So that was originally my plan. And then I could leave my company to be ran by my, staff that I had working, they could continue to do the weddings because they were really good at it. You know, I had des- a great designer and I had great logistics uh, girl, you know, I had a great staff and then I could focus my passion and my true calling of saving the world for all from all the health ailments ever um, for post the wedding. Right. And I would still work with them and I would still have that flow of income right. and have like these varying businesses and you know, because I mean, I can't lie to you and tell you that I didn't want to make continue to make money. Well, of course, I wanted to continue to make money. And in the health field, I guess you can call it or in this health and fitness world, it's never gonna, you know, it's never gonna end. It's always there. There's always a, a, a revenue stream. Well, as we learned in our last episode, there's always an income stream, if you look the part. Let's jump back into a conversation that I had with writer and speaker Melissa Toller. part of a capitalist culture where you are financially rewarded for looking like you're healthy. 
Um, yes. You're financially rewarded for following the mandatory idea, right? That health is mandatory and that you only get money when you're healthy. And that's probably why that business coach, right, is selling weight loss. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, how can you, and I'm speaking as her, right? How can you be worth something, you know, even if you have a great business and uh, you're helping people with their finances, how can you be truly worthy if you don't look the part? Yes. Yeah, right? absolutely. And like, I mean, I even saw this um, with a, a a marketing coach. He did the same thing. I think I posted on Facebook the other day. He po- he followed me around with a sponsored ad saying, you know, he he normally follows me around with like stuff for like selling courses or like fix your marketing. And instead I got how I lost weight and why that makes me a better person. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, well, okay. But what does that have to do with marketing? And And what it does have to do with marketing is it gives him authority. Mm-hmm. It gives him yeah. the authority to take my money because he earned it by being thinner or leaner or fitter. And that to me, it's like, why? why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? I think it also, you know, and it's, you know, related to that, it creates an extra income stream for these people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, and actually <laughs> the business coach who I first talked about, she said, if, if Oprah can monetize weight loss, then why can't I? Oh, so, yeah. So oh, no. I mean, it's a it's a way to make money from people. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Right. And so, why would anybody want to listen to somebody like you or me yep. say, like, "Hey, what you're doing is disempowering an entire group of people"? Right. What you're yes. doing is you're disempowering yourself. And it's yes. like, no, money is empowerment. What are you talking about? Yeah. If you, if you take away this income stream from me, because as you mentioned earlier, and I think you're you're absolutely right, like everybody's doing it, so it can't be that bad. Yes. Right? If everyone if everyone is giving me their money because they think it's a good thing, it can't be that bad. Because I'm not a bad person and I don't take people's money in a in a disingenuous way. I'm being totally authentic about my weight. I'm being totally authentic about my struggles. I'm being totally authentic about my fitness plan. Um, I earned this. So why would you take that away from me? And the thing yes. is, it's like, well, in in this capitalist society in which we live, if people reward you with your money or with their money, rather, then you must have earned it. Right. Oh, yes. You deserve it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so therefore, who cares what anybody else is doing and who cares if if you don't think it's the right thing? Because yeah. I, I know I earned it. People gave it to me. Yes. This episode is part one of two, and we'll continue talking about the dangers of personal branding in the health world in our next episode. For now, I'll let Victoria Fariz, the Fitzbo documentarian and former bodybuilder whom we met in the last episode, have the last word. With with this whole idea of lifting yourself up by your own bootstraps and uh, how badly do you want it? You know, rags to riches. There is something that is very heroic about that. There's something that's very um, inspiring about that, right? So where you're born a certain way, it could be you come from uh, poverty or you come from an abusive family or you know, you have a drug addiction or whatever, and something happens that makes you go so deep within yourself that you have to decide, what do I want in my life? 
And I've been faced with that many times, sometimes where it's been for good, sometimes where it's hurt me. And you have to decide for yourself, what do I want? Who am I? And when a human being can decide that they will change and that they will choose a better life for themselves, there's something very inspiring about that because how many of us want to do that? There's so many of us who really want the courage to speak up for ourselves, to speak up for what our heart truly desires and to go for it, to to pass our limitations, to face our fears and blah, blah, blah. And that's very true. Um, I'm still very inspired by people who can do that. But when we put it in terms of, well, fitness is what's going to bring you happiness, it, it gets it gets a little distorted because now you're putting your value on your body. You know, now you're putting your value on your food, your ability to restrict it. Um, and, and that gets very distorted because food is something that we do every day because our body is the place that we reside in. And if you develop a negative relationship to your body, you're screwed. It doesn't matter if you've, if you've attained the body on the outside, if, if on the outside you look like you've made it, which, you know, I did that. I looked like I had made it. I had my little six pack and all that stuff. But on the inside, you are fighting yourself. You're in fear of food. You're in, in fear of, well, what if I no longer look like this? Then what's the point? Right. So, you know, now that comes into Fitzbo in terms of, of marketing. Well, who has sold this idea to you that that is what you should aspire to? Uh, it's it's it was genius to use fitness and parallel the body transformation to the American dream. That was a genius move uh, because it, I mean, there's so many ways in which it, you know it very easily can be can be used that way. The Your Body, Your Brand podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Kyla Tova. Dramaturgical feedback was provided by Kendall Lynch. Music for the intro was written and produced by Mackenzie Quattlebaum. Concept photography for the website, social media, and podcast cover art was taken by Risa Scott of RF Scott Imagery. If you've been listening thus far and enjoying the podcast, I definitely need your help. This is an independent, ad-free podcast, and in order to develop a season two, and even to pay for the costs of hosting and sharing the podcast, every dollar that you can spare as a patron helps. So to become a patron, you just go to patreon.com slash bodybrandpod. You can just show your support of the podcast by spending $1 a month, or for $3 a month, you get the reward of exclusive audio, including cut audio and longer clips from the podcast. This week's Patreon episode is Sarah Vance. When you become a patron, you'll also get access to the backlog of episodes, and these Patreon episodes are going to continue long after season one is done. So if you can spare three bucks a month, please, please, please head to patreon.com slash bodybrandpod. For show notes and links to the guests who appeared on today's episode, please visit bodybrandpod.com slash listen slash cage. Are you a health coach, yoga teacher, personal trainer, or wellness entrepreneur? Are you tired of hearing me ask you? Well, I'd love to hear your story, so consider sending it in. Please, I would love to hear from you by email or a voice memo that you can record on your phone and send by email. You can also connect with me on social media. Anywhere that you go to social media, just find at bodybrandpod. I don't have a TikTok, but that's just because I'm an old. So just shoot me an email at yourbodyyourbrand at gmail.com to get in touch. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the podcast, and I will see you next week.